Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Hi-Fi Hour. Uh, my guest today needs no introduction. He is a true icon in the industry, Nelson Pass. Nelson, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, I, I am so uh, honored to have you on the show because uh, you have done so much for the industry over the last 50 years, as you mentioned, um, and I'm just uh, really proud to have you on here and proud to be talking to you. Well, like I said, ple pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's a flattering introduction. <laughs> well, um, I guess let's get right into it. Uh, so what's what's the Nelson Pass origin story? Did you did you grow up around audio uh, and what got you into hi-fi in general? I grew up around aircraft. I came from an aircraft family. Uh, but around age 15, 16, I started getting really interested in audio. And I went to school and at, at, at UC Davis, mm -hmm. uh, fell in with a crowd that was really serious about audio. <laughs> and it just took off from there. That was, um, well, I, I, my first employment my first full-time employment was ESS in 1972 hmm. so that would be just 50 years okay uh, what, what did you do at ESS um, I started out measuring I, I was the only guy who could actually measure stuff and I had access to the anechoic chamber at UC Davis so <laughs> I had the keys <laughs> <laughs> I was instantly popular with the guys who had started up BSS and were, were uh, running it up as a, a competitor to Infinity. They, they kind of modeled themselves after, after Infinity. And the ESS stood for Electrostatic Sound Systems. Right. A friend of mine who was uh, a, a true electronics genius, um, his name is Pete Wehrbeck, uh, he ran across these guys in a house in Sacramento making speakers, and they were, uh, again, large electrostats. And he got a job with them designing amplifiers and preamps and such. Mm -hmm. And later on, uh, I was introduced to them, and they went, oh, well, you look like a smart kid. <laughs> Why don't you come work for us? And in fact, I did. Now, about uh, just after they hired me, they moved to a new location from the house to an actual industrial building, a small one, and they, they were manufacturing speakers. And about a month or so after I arrived, uh, they, Oscar Heil uh, 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 met them, and uh, that's when things started really moving fast. Uh, and within in almost no time, we were uh, manufacturing Heil transformer loudspeakers. I was in charge of uh, the, the testing apparatus and the, uh, the QA equipment and the procedures and uh, worked on development of crossovers and various and sundry. There, there were just two really technical boys in the house. I was one of them. That, that's a good, good place to be, I suppose. Um, Great start. So uh, what, what was the inspiration behind building some of the most iconic amplifiers that have, have really ever existed? Because um, you, you mentioned you came from uh, a, a different background. 
what uh, was it a kind of a learning curve to go from what you were doing and then into audio and making things sound just so amazing? Well, it, it's like any uh, uh, track that you receive an artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think of myself as an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you start out by uh, imitating other people's work and learning from it and then slowly developing your own ideas. And, you know, uh, and you just, if you, if you do that and not all that much else, uh, you, you hopefully, you know, can make a lot of progress. And, and I really enjoyed doing that kind of work. I like to build stuff. Mm-hmm. So who, who were some of your inspirations back then that got you started and got you excited about hi-fi? Well, Pete Wareback, mm-hmm. the, the guy I mentioned at ESS, as I said, he was a certified genius. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. I'm sorry. So I, I learned a lot from him. Um, I, I left ESS at the end of 1973, and I went to work as the service manager for uh, the you know the repair department of Sun Stereo, which was a California chain. Hmm. And in uh, in doing that, I got to be inside of a lot of other pieces of equipment, stuff made by Sony and Pioneer and JVC, and numerous brands, Macintosh. Uh, so I, I, I was either fixing the stuff directly because it, I could, as manager, I got to pick what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it was really interesting. I I, I chose to uh, let me. I'll do that. So um, I learned a lot about how stuff is built, what fails, uh, what the, I had access to all of the circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to play all the time with this sort of stuff. So that expanded my uh, uh, my experience and my knowledge base and my, my my sense of perspective about what's good and not. Um, uh, about well, not long after I uh, left ESS, the marketing or, uh, marketing director at ESS, Renee Besnay, and I decided to uh, form a company. I had an idea for a new type of Class A amplifier that ran more efficiently, mm-hmm. um, and we founded Threshold and launched our so launched the company over the course of that year that I was at Sun Stereo and in 1975 we had our first product out and that was the 800A big class A amplifier nice nice that's actually a pretty cool history um and and it just grew from there obviously and and it is what it is today which is just just a phenomenal phenomenal situation i mean it's it's really cool because when you see a pass labs amplifier you you automatically for the people that know about pass labs they automatically associate that with quality which i mean i I guess that's everybody's goal in the business is to is to have that kind of resonance with with the audio community um now can you tell me a little bit about amp camp and what was your desire to teach uh, in, in this capacity? I know it was, it, it was just a small run of of, of you know classes, or I think you had a, a class of twenty people, but it's still a kit that's being offered today. I just saw one online, so uh, for, you know, 
for me, I would have loved to have attended the class. But uh, what made you? Uh, what made you do that? Um, that's a continuation of a of a, uh, a, a multi-year progression. Uh, when I was at ESS, I wrote my first article, which went into audio amateur. Um, I subsequently wrote another article for audio magazine. And in both cases, it was, uh, well, especially the audio magazine one, build a class amplifier. And it, it was on the cover and it was a, it was a big project and you heard the schematics and everything that you needed. And um, so that kind of got me started and that was back in the 70s. And I, I got involved with generally with DIY audio and writing project articles. Uh, about the time that the uh, uh, Burning Amp Festival was created, which is about mm, 17 years ago or so, uh, we also uh, had a website called DIYaudio.com that was formed. And so a lot of these things started coalescing around the, the Bay Area and also uh, people at DIY Audio. Mm -hmm. It just simply expanded the audience that I had for projects. And I like to do a lot of different things. <laughs> I like to work on, you know, I, I like to work on amplifiers and related items. It's what I do. And I have at this late date, uh, two companies that are, you know, manufacturing product lines, that's First Watt and Pass Labs. And the the, uh, my, the the amount of work that I actually do uh, is more is more than is appropriate for uh, uh, either of those two companies. In fact, you know, it's a case where if you're successful in, in the product line and manufacturing, you 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 end up in a little bit of a straight jacket. And the result is that. Uh, if you want to do other things, you have to find some discreet way of <laughs> accomplishing that without creating trouble in the marketplace. If I if I if I tossed out for sale everything that I worked on and played with, then uh, there would just be a lot of confusion. And I've learned a long time ago that that sort of thing keeps you from making any money at the same <laughs> at the same time. So, Pass Labs has it's the kind of product that it is. We have uh, dabbled in speakers, and we've you know we've had DACs and other kinds of projects before, and and they all actually made money, but they were uh, usually more trouble in the marketplace than they were worth. Mm -hmm. uh, so we found it just easier to concentrate on amplifiers and preamps and stuff that's real close to that. Most of the DIY stuff was were not things that I could play with commercially, so uh, the easiest thing to do is to just stick it out there. And uh, it not only you know, it, it does some good in the community with people having access to uh, uh, what I think of as quality design, but also it, it gives me the opportunity to try something out and get it out there and get some feedback about it and, and see uh, how, how it plays. And, what, and also I get to see uh, what people are interested in, what, what, what things they think about when they're dealing with audio or listening to it. That's all very valuable information. And it doesn't hurt my reputation at all. 
Well, so I, I, DIY is a major thing that I do. It's, it, it occupies a good percentage of my time these days. Well, the, yeah, the M camp was wildly successful, uh, and people still talk about it today. Um, now, do you feel someone, I'll, I'll put myself out there, do you feel someone like me with a limited electrical or technical background can learn how to make amps, DACs, or other components in a DIY capacity and not blow himself up? <laughs> or well, electrocuted you probably, you, You're probably not going to blow yourself up, but you do want to avoid being electrocuted. <laughs> um, it's not that I have never seen an explosion, but it's quite rare. <laughs> well, I, but the answer is yes. Uh, First off, the, the, the kits and the documents that come with them and so on are designed to, for people who don't necessarily know very much. We're not assuming much uh, uh, big technical expertise at all. It's really helpful if you can solder. Uh, it's really helpful if you're not colorblind so that you can read the color codes on resistors and such. It, it's really helpful if you can uh, especially if you can, you know, operate a multi, you know, voltmeter, ohmmeter, multimeter, which is, these are, this is an instrument that starts at about 10, 15 bucks, you know. Uh, soldering is the uh, most uh, exotic thing, something that you have to actually practice a bit before you get good. But, well, I mean, these are, these, these kits are good for that. And you can actually just go get circuit boards, you know, that have got holes in them and stuff. And, and I have on, on numerous occasions sent people kits of junk parts to solder onto junk PC boards just to get the practice. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you get it, it's, it, it, it's like, it's just like doing a little dance with a piece of solder and, and, uh, and a soldering iron. You know, I, uh, I, I feel, I'd say about six, seven, eight months ago, um, I can't even tell time anymore since, since the pandemic, um, I built a, it was already, okay, I cheated. It was already a pre-made board uh, from Parts Express, and a friend of mine um, who does, who has a DIY audio channel on YouTube, um, you know, inspired me to try it for myself. You know, see, at, at the end of the day, it was basically just, connecting a few wires and soldering a couple things and bada bing bada boom you're done took me about three hours to accomplish that but um, aside from that it ended up sounding pretty good it's a, it was just a class d amp you know with two modules um and it, it, it sounds okay uh but i took it to a friend of mine who uh you know uh, could you know builds uh, power conditioners and he, he knows uh, you know how to how to solder pretty well and uh, he looked at my soldering job and he's like, what is this? He's like, what have you done? So <laughs> he spent about, you know, 20 minutes uh, showing me how to do it, showing me how, you know, how hot it needed to be. And, you know, and, and when he did it, he just made it look so easy and so and so effortless that I was like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, I, but, but like you said, uh, practice makes perfect and maybe getting. Uh, you know, just a junk board with some with some with some junk parts. I can practice and, and get better at it because that's the only thing I'm kind of worried about is when I see a kit and there's like a hundred little tiny capacitors and and resistors and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with that, you know. But um, when I read about the 
the YAMP camp, I guess you, you give very detailed instruction and, and stuff like that to, to make sure everybody has a successful uh, experience with it all. So, you know, hopefully someday, and that's maybe something I'm going to do someday is maybe design a, uh, an AMP camp AMP, but, or uh, not design one, but build one. That would be, uh, that would be actually kind of fun for a project. Well, I specialize in simplicity mm -hmm. everywhere I go. I mean, I think that um, complicated circuits, they can perform some functions, but in, in this realm, which I regard as entertainment, simple is, is, is better. Mm -hmm. It's easier to access. It's easier to do. It's, it, it tends to be very reliable, tends to be quite stable. And if you do it right, it sounds very good. Right. Um, the speaker, the, the, I'm not speaker, but AmpCamp um, was an interesting case. We, uh, so far, there's only, there's been one AmpCamp per se. There was one at the recent Burning Amp Festival a couple years ago that was really a, a headphone amp plus preamp. Hmm. And that was, uh, but AmpCamp has become known almost as a brand. <laughs> but the first one that we did, which was not too far away, I went down there and spent the day, and it was it was very successful. Everybody who attended left with an amplifier, except one guy who was an attorney who had to leave early, and so I actually carried because I lived in his area. I carried his amplifier back to him uh, oh. in Sacramento. So um, the experience though uh, taught me that. Uh, such things as uh, amp camp should be preceded by solder camp because soldering was the big challenge and I, I was showing a lot of people how to solder and it was the, the, the major impediment everything else went pretty smoothly so so don't feel bad <laughs> but and it doesn't take that much effort to do that you just have to try it a few times well, I'm going to have to practice because I definitely want to build one of these one of these amp camp amps one day. Um, so I, I changing gears a little bit. I recently had the pleasure of listening to the first watt sit three. Um, and I was absolutely blown away by the sound quality. Um, uh, you know, I actually just posted a video today uh, talking about amplifiers and I explained that an, an enormous amount of wattage isn't really necessary to produce room feeling sound. Um, can you explain a bit about the technology behind these low wattage amplifiers and why they sound so amazing? Even at the 18 watts per channel that the SIT3 has, it, it literally powered these huge custom made floor standers uh, that, you know, granted they're, they're, they're very efficient, but still i mean uh, for someone that, that doesn't know um the the technical side of it is like oh you'll need you know 100 200 watts to power this they were singing at 19 watts you know or 18 watts uh, can you explain that a little bit more to me well i consider 18 watts to be a lot <laughs> <laughs> because I, I i tend to listen to pretty efficient speakers i've got I've got some 95 dB uh, full rangers from China, and I've got a pair of zoos here that are apparently 100 dB. I haven't hooked them up yet; they just arrived. Wow! But 
in the case of the 95 dB sensitive speakers, they're playing pretty loud and they're running at less than a watt. In fact, I have a, I have an oscilloscope hooked up to the system. I can look at the waveform on the scope, and uh, and set the scale such that if the waveform is with it's still inside the window, in other words, doesn't exceed the top or bottom uh, barriers there. That's I call that the one watt window. If it, if the if the trace is inside of that, it's less than a watt. Well, it's actually two watt peak. So, but the idea is the one watt amplifier can fill that screen. Mm -hmm. It's loud as hell when I play one watt. So <laughs> there's a reason why I called that company first watt. Um, people in invariably think that they need more power than they perhaps do. Uh, of course, some people like to play really loud. Now, I have a system upstairs that has remained the same now for uh, 12, 13 years. I mean, literally exactly the same because I have a deal with my wife, which is I can have anything I want, but I can't change it out all the time and I can't have any wires and stuff hanging around and, you know. That's, so that's fair, the that's stock fair. System. Well, that's got conventional, more conventional components. And when we put on uh, some of the kind of rock and roll that she likes, or if just happened to be Pink Floyd video or some other such, we will we will take it up, uh, and it can be pretty scary, and that's fine. But but that's not the that's not the standard. Uh, the other thing though that's that's worth thinking about is is that um, if you're going to build simple amplifiers, the easiest way to make them really good is to not require too much juice out of them. In other words. If you're talking five, 10 watts, you, most people would be pretty happy with that unless they're running a disco. But a circuit like that running, it can, it's small enough to be run class A without being crazy. Mm -hmm. Class A is still the smoothest, nicest way to operate audio components. And, um, and they allow also for very simple circuits. So they don't measure tremendously well. I mean, the distortion numbers are not in competition with the latest uh, things that are put out with say class D or, or guys who are really shooting at very low distortion numbers and the damping factor and all these other specs aren't extraordinary. In fact, in, in many cases, they're thought of as being kind of deficient and poor, mm -hmm. but there's a quality to all this. One of those qualities is that from its simplicity, whatever it does do tends to be inoffensive. Uh, the, the distortion is a low order harmonic quality. Um, the amplifier, when it, when it starts to overdrive or have problems, it, it does so rather gracefully mm -hmm. instead of, instead of, you know, having a crack up and falling down. So, uh, also those are, <laughs> those are easy to build. Like I said before, they, they also tend to be quite reliable and they, and they last a long time mm -hmm. for DIYers. It's it's an amazing thing for them because it's it, it can be it can be done. The circuits that we see commercially uh, are very complicated. It's almost like people are being paid by the part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know designers who, who have been paid by the component, and 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 develop some sophisticated but very complicated circuits. But but a lot of those never, they, you know. They they don't have uh, they don't have the kind of quality that, I, that I'm looking for. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want a super accurate amplifier, you can, you're free to go elsewhere. Um, to me, this is, uh, it is kind of like art. In fact, it is art. And I, I'm reminded when I think of my own career, <laughs> I'm reminded of Picasso who said, I spent my first four years learning to paint as Raphael and the rest of my life learning to paint as Picasso. <laughs> so, and, and yeah, there'll be, and it's just like, it's just like with art. When, when, when a guy looks at a abstract painting and says, my kid can do better than that. Well, okay, maybe, but, um, this is what I do. Uh, the, the people who are my customers like those kinds of qualities. The DIYers love them because they're accessible intellectually. They aren't. They aren't uh, huge efforts at complexity. Right. And so that that's the deal. And and uh, I, we do that at Pass Labs as much as possible. We do it even more so at First Watt because the power levels are not nearly as high. Mm-hmm. And then. DIYers, there there are no limits to you know, what you might try to play with and see how it goes. Yeah, my my friend Mike, who whom is where I heard the, uh, uh, is it SIT or a SIT three? Am I saying that wrong? Uh, no, SIT three. SIT three. Uh, that's where I heard the SIT three, and I asked him because man, I, I was I was that impressed. I was like, wow, what an amplifier! And he said, I will. Ne-, he said, I will never ever sell this amplifier as long as I live. <laughs> um, and- well, you know, uh, we are out of, of those uh, particular transistors. Mm-hmm. And what is, one? there were three SIT amplifiers that I released at first watt. And uh, they came out of uh, a relationship that I ended up having with a company in, uh, in the southern part of the U.S. called SemiSouth. Mm-hmm. And they were pioneering silicon carbide as a semiconductor material. And somehow I just kind of came across them and they and the, the transistors that they had. And uh, they were extremely special. Uh, they were power JFETs, the junction JFETs, where prior, prior to this, there was really nothing on the marketplace. Actually, the Japanese had uh, had pioneered something uh, which they referred to as the VFET. The VFET and the SIT are the same thing. It, it's just that uh, uh, that's what they call them in terms of their commercial, commercial usage. And mm-hmm. you may remember those uh, as the VFET amplifiers from the uh, 70s and into the 80s from Sony and Yamaha specifically. Mm-hmm. The VFET uh, or slash SIT stands for static induction transistor, and VFET stood for vertical transistor. Um, but these are power JFETs, and and it means that they are made. Uh, they're not. They're not made from the MOSFET technology, which is metal oxide semiconductor. It's a whole other, whole other camp, uh, which mostly dominates electronics today. But the uh, the FETs have a special quality, and in the case of the um, uh, the ones I played with initially from SemiSouth, they were they were pretty good reproduction, pretty good emulation of a pentode tube. Uh, they had a real nice quality to it, but yet all the convenience of solid state. They didn't require super high voltages, and they had but they did deliver lots of current, so they were in the 
operating range of what a speaker would naturally want to see. Mm -hmm. And they had that square log characteristic that you're familiar with in, in tubes. And uh, so th there were some really nice tube-like qualities, and yet it had a lot of the benefits of solid state. So we went to market with that at first watt. It was successful, and I began buying more of these kinds of parts from Semi-South. This was a little startup, really. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the, uh, their head of development. He goes, you know, maybe maybe you'd be interested in these SITs. And I go, what's that? <laughs> he explained to me that what they are is the same kind of thing I've been working with, but cooked in a process which made them qualitatively different. They were more like triodes than they were like pentodes. Mm -hmm. And the, the whole notion of going after the triode sound with a semiconductor was very appealing. But they had to be made custom. And the uh, I ended up spending, uh, well, let's see, six digits to get a run, to get, to get the, the semiconductors that I wanted. And uh, that, but it was a nice pile, and they worked. It started out then with the uh, SIT1, mm -hmm. which was an amplifier that used a single SIT transistor, and it was the only gain device in the amplifier. Hmm. It did have an optional buffer to give it a higher input impedance if you needed it, if, if, if your tube preamp wouldn't drive the normal impedance. But that was, that was, a, uh, that was defeatable. You didn't have to use it. And after that, it was, it was the only transistor in the, in the piece. Mm -hmm. And it had and there was no feedback and so on. It had the sound of just that SIT, the sound of one transistor clapping. And it sounded like a pretty nice tube amp. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and But it had its own qualities too. It didn't have to go through an output st uh, step-down transformer. It, 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 there were other things about it. Didn't age that uh, ungraciously. So um, that was a big success. Mm -hmm. It also was easy to adjust the character of the sound because I had a knob on the front and a little meter. And it turns out that if you take a, a, a triode or, a, or an SAT, which is kind of an emulation of a triode, if you adjust its position in the, in the load line, if you adjust, if you bias it for more current or less voltage, or you've got these parameters that you can play with, the, you can alter its character, and hmm. you can, uh, in the in the case of the SIT one, you can, as you turn the knob down and, and that turn down the voltage, but raise the current at the same time. You went into a mode where you've got a fairly strong uh, negative phase second harmonic. That's a that's a it's a second harmonic, but the phase alignment on it is such that at all fundamental peaks of the waveform, the, the, uh, the, the second harmonic is, is on a negative peak. So, um, but, if you, but if you then turn that up at some point up toward the top, you saw a positive phase second harmonic. So you got to not only adjust the amount of harmonic that might be in, in there, uh, but you also got to uh, flip its phase one way or another and see the difference on that. And in the middle, it, it was a spot where the second harmonic was nulled out altogether. And the only thing that was left was third harmonic. And these were very 
pure harmonics. The second was quite pure, and the third, when it was nulled in, was it was also there. It is on a spectrum analyzer. Not much else out there. So people were able to play with the sound. I made ten of them. They were monoblock, so there were like five opportunities for people to be, you know, borrow these things and listen to them. Mm -hmm. And I initially had set the meter so that the null occurred right in the middle of the green zone on the meter. But the we didn't tell people what we were doing. We had them turn it up and down and let us know what you think. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out that everybody wanted that thing uh, turned down toward the left for second harmonic of negative phase. That was the general, not all, but general pre uh, uh, preference, which I found totally interesting that, you know, in blind listening tests, people go, I liked it here. So <laughs> I made that the center of the meter mm -hmm. <laughs> and we began shipping. And it was, it was very successful. Um, Subsequently, there was a stereo uh, version that uh, had two semiconductors on the on the output stage. And I, I made it another transistor to bias up that SIT, and that raised the efficiency from the measly 10 watts we'd been getting to you know getting up around 20, 25 watts. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we were able to do it with two channels on a chassis. We started sending those out the door, and we, we sold those for years. Um, in addition to other other products that weren't SITs, but it, it's the the legend of the SITs continued to grow. Some years later, uh, I got a uh, oh I know what it was. <laughs> you wonder why I do so much with DIYs because I get a lot of information back from people. Mm -hmm. I put stuff up on DIY audio, and I've got a little flock of of guys who will at. Uh, sometimes go, oh, Mr. Pez, have you seen this? And they would point to something or, you know, give me a link to something. And it would be something really interesting or, or maybe even fabulous. And in this case, it was fabulous. <laughs> and my response was, well, thank you very much. I had not seen that. <laughs> but uh, the, the upshot is, is that I was, I was steered to a site in Singapore, an outfit that had... Uh, Sony VFETs, which had been long discontinued, and the amplifiers had gone away in, in the, in the uh, 80s. And they had repair inventory. They had something like 3,000 pieces of these power transistors that were the VFETs. Uh, and not only that, but they were, they, were, they were in two types of VFET. They were P-channel and N-channel, so you can make complementary circuits with them and all sorts of stuff. Well. I, I went in there and began playing with those, and I went, oh, holy crap, this is, these are fabulous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, SemiSouth had uh, gone bankrupt, mm. and that big batch of SITs that I got last, well, we still have like you know, a few handfuls, it's not much, uh, and, and, they, and those are repair parts in case we need them. Right. Um, we couldn't. We we were looking at the end of the sit uh, amplifiers because of because of they the semi south was gone, but all of a sudden there was like three thousand pieces of uh, of these Sony VFETs, which are the same sort of part. And so I got a hold of those guys, and they were like cheap. Mm -hmm. And I I bought 
most of their inventory. But what I, but so that I wouldn't be thought of as a complete pig. Another six-figure uh, venture, I huh? Left, I left. <laughs> I left a good thousand of them there, and mm-hmm. I told the DIYers, "Go get them." Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, they, they, I, it was a case of while they last, you know, don't kid yourself, and and the price was right. So, um, but two thousand uh, power transistors for me is not actually enough to float production. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I did with this, the first thing I did <laughs> is telling, I, I have dozens of side stories here. The, the first thing I did was remember that I have some very good friends at Sony. And, uh, what, but we didn't have enough of these to actually do production. So we wanted to do something great, but we couldn't you know, launch a product line based on it because it wouldn't last long enough. However, um, the people at Sony had been very friendly to us for a long time and done us numerous good deeds and favors. And we, we always tried to return the favor wherever possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were actually good customers of ours at the, at the same time. So <laughs> and, and they sent checks, you know. So we were sitting around and go, you know what we need to do? We should create the 40th anniversary commemorative Sony VET amp with these parts because it was the 40th anniversary of their launch of the VETs. Right. And I went, oh, this is perfect. Now, so I called up the guy at Sony and said, this is what we want to do. And he goes, oh, well, I need it. It sounds great, but I, I need to you know, just kick that upstairs. Now, I was just, I'm just trying to be polite to mm-hmm. somebody who, who, by the way, was also a customer. And, um, so I, I got a call from uh, the guy who uh, uh, later on actually became the head of uh, Sony. Hmm. Um, and he said, well, why would you do this? And I said, because we can. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I love it. So we built uh, a, a very small run of the 40th anniversary Sony VFET commemorative amps and they were, these were pretty large amps and they had lots of VFETs inside mm-hmm. they were stunningly great and uh, we ended up we gave uh, four of them to Sony mm-hmm. and that left uh, two for me um, later on they came back and got those two as well. <laughs> but the great thing was that they just loved it to death because as you know Sony is an IP company these days they're and, and more so than anything else, but they do celebrate their history of innovation and achievement. And this fit, this fit right in with that kind of, uh, of attitude about, about who they were and where they came from. So they ended up uh, taking these all over the world on tour. Uh, at the same time, they were, um, uh, they were actually on tour uh, promoting uh, their newer formats that they, you know, the SACD and uh, and, and, and and so on. So um, this just fit right in. So these things went on tour all over <laughs> the world. <laughs> and, and by the way, my name was there on the faceplate in the corner. So you know, it was excellent publicity for us as well. Oh man, getting so my, getting my hands on one of those. Getting my hands on one of those would be amazing. If I, but you say they only made, what, six? I ended up with six. Oof. Now, what we do have, 
the semi-south sits are gone, but it turned out that there was a company in Japan named Token, T-O-K-I-N, that was manufacturing industrial versions of these parts where the the, uh, the the audio pieces, you know, were, oh, you know, 50 to 50 to 100 watts, um, you know, they, they could withstand, you know, uh, 50, 70 volts, you know, three, four, maybe five, six, who knows, maybe 10 amps could be, but they weren't what we, you know, they weren't industrial. Token, however, was manufacturing what we call hockey pucks that they were, uh, 700 watts. I, I've got a pair that are a kilowatt per transistor of, of dissipation. Yeah. I've got, uh, they, they go up, they went up to a, over a thousand volts. They went over 50 amps. These things were huge. And from the standpoint of what they, with their performances in terms of high power and voltage and everything, they were, uh, they were a mile beyond you know, any, anything I had been playing with before. And they were still triode characteristic. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden you got something that is uh, huge, but you know, but is, is also, it's, it would be like kind of like having a really big bank of triodes. You can imagine a room or in the old days when they were making computers out of triodes, you can imagine that. <laughs> and so uh, they were still making them. But unfortunately, the Fukushima earthquake, you may remember, and the tidal wave that followed it wiped out the production capa uh, capacity of token. Oh, no. The other industries uh, got hit as well in that, but they were, and uh, their owner, as I understand it, NEC uh, at that time, uh, elected not to rebuild the fab line. Mm. And so <clears throat> it, it came down to, uh, uh, if you wanted them, it came down to hunting up whatever uh, inventories had been uh, salvaged or were sitting around, you know, in in, in the industry. Um, I ran across two sources who were happy to sell parts, and then it turned out that they had actually quite good access to parts if you wanted to really buy a lot of them, and so I did, and so. Um, yeah, we're, we're currently uh, uh, in development on products that will use those for first watt. And so the, the I, I expect that the SITs are going to uh, not only continue, but we're going to start hitting higher power levels okay. in, in terms of... Uh, well, <clears throat> it, it seems... Um, I don't want to call you bad luck, but it seems that you, you find, you know, a, a special ingredient for these amplifiers and then something happens the bankruptcy you know uh the the, the <laughs> uh, tidal waves you know it's like it's like you finally found something you like and you're like man this really works good and you're having to re-innovate because of unfortunate things so well, i get to i get to re-innovate <laughs> i found it first what because i wanted to do stuff mm -hmm. but it, a lot of the stuff I might want to do distracts from the central business of Pass Labs. Sure. And so SITs are not at, at Pass Labs. They they are more conventional stuff that we can get in, in quantities and mm -hmm. act a little more more conventionally in terms of how they work. So all the toys are over at First Watt. So so and First Watt's kind of like your pet project that you like to, to. It started out as my kitchen table company. 
Well, and but then you know it started being too successful. I, so I, I what I did is I incorporated it into Pass Lab so that they do the production and they're doing they're doing all the work. I mean, I'm down to the point now where I just create. Well, I mean, for my for my buddy to say he'll never sell that amp is a big deal because he he's usually not you know emotionally attached to a to an amplifier and 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 just like i said just by hearing it you did a great job um now past labs was founded in 1991 correct and um can you tell me a little bit about the amplifier of the decade which was a unique prototype it was the the alif zero right a single-ended class a amplifier right yes how did that well come i had i had fooled around with class a single ended before but they had no place at threshold mm-hmm. which was uh building amplifiers that are you know they, well they were large and they ran hot but they were they were they were high power stuff mm-hmm. and, and toward that end we were trying to increase the efficiency of these amplifiers so that you know you, you can get up into higher power levels without having enormous and, and, and extremely expensive uh, uh, output stages and power supplies and heat sinks and so on. Not that there isn't a place for that, but uh, I, I wanted to place with, with play with single-ended amplifiers, but like I said, it didn't have a place at, 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 uh, at past labs. I'm sorry, at threshold. <laughs> This is kind of the story of my life, though. It's like, you know, the, the company starts doing well and is successful, and it's it's time to move on into something which allows you to be creative, but it doesn't create trouble for the original uh, uh, operation, which is, by the way, still paying the salary, typically. I right. mean, I, nice to have an income. So uh, Pass Labs was, was started out as that. I could do anything I wanted. Uh, I had a very small crew. I owned the building that it was in, and we just went at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, Alif Zero was a, a, a MOSFET amplifier. In fact, it was the first commercial MOSFET amplifier that I that I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was single-ended Class A. I, I had done a DIY single-ended Class A back in '77, which actually was uh, which actually was kind of popular, but um, had had not had not pursued that commercially. Oh, I know. <laughs> Somebody is cleaning here today. Oh, nice. <laughs> and there's a vacuum cleaner. I have to watch out for what kind of sounds I'm in in my environment. You never know what could have accidentally gotten turned on. I'm gonna I'm gonna need uh, them anyways, to come over. I'm gonna need them to come over after. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, this was my chance to do what I wanted with, with Pass Labs, and so sure. we built that. And it was a little crew. We even built our own machine shop, so we were machining our own metal. That was the best part. Is for the first six months of that company, uh, Mike Burley and I, he he'd come with me from uh, Threshold. Uh, we built uh, CNC mills. We bought old old Bridgeport mills and hooked stepper motors up to them with uh you know with belt drives and <laughs> program cheap cheap window not windows uh, dos pcs to you know send pulses to the stepper motors and run them and then pr- 
programs to <laughs> so that you could tell that I want to I want to cut from here to there or even better I want to you know carve a, a letter in some metal oh wow so this is what we did and, and the, the, the Olive Zero was the product mm -hmm. and uh, so I sent a pair of them they were monoblocks to um, Dick Ulsher who is still with us and um, he just loved them to death. But I, I, I kind of knew that they were going to be to his taste because I, I kind of knew his taste. He, he referred to himself as the old tube man. Mm. And uh, single-ended tubes were right in there for him. And, and also he liked the, uh, he liked the nice full-range efficient speakers with maybe a little woofer down below them, you know. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured that this would hit him where he lived. And so that's how it got called Amplifier of the Decade. There we go. Um, so uh, how do you feel? This is going to be a, a loaded question. How do you feel about the overall audio industry at this point in time? Do you feel we're on the verge of immense innovation? Um, or will companies continue to kind of look back at their legacy products for inspiration on aesthetics and design? And now I know this is kind of a odd question because we are just coming out of a huge, um, period of time where parts are were really hard to source for for the last couple of years so i understand why there maybe was some stagnant uh stagnant behavior with with companies but do you feel we're on the right track now do you think that companies in general and the audio industry in general is going to start thriving or or do you feel it's going to go a different direction i i don't know um what, what I can say is, is that we're doing quite well. <laughs> we're off in that, you know, exotic, uh, not exotic zone. Uh, the, the two things that we noticed instantly uh, about the pandemic was is that people were stuck at home and they started thinking about their audio systems a lot more. So we were not suffering for lack of sales, but um, we were kind of suffering for lack of parts right. and it, it impeded our ability to ship as much stuff as, as we wanted to. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I talk about collecting parts like these transistors and such. You have no idea. I, my wife refers to me as a hoarder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, at least this stuff is worth something. <laughs> I, 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 I collect vast quantities of, um, transistors that are going away mm -hmm. because many of the replacements are incredible as switchers or doing other sorts of things that modern technology is looking for but maybe not so much with just dealing with analog audio amplification so sure. um, a lot of the, and the other thing too is, is that when these things have gotten discontinued the Toshiba parts are my favorite example Toshiba made the absolute standard little signal JFET in the industry. It was super quiet. It was super linear. It was just beautiful. And um, and they made tons of them. Uh, they and, and and if you were buying and, and, and nobody else nobody else had quite that. They were the formula. They were the best transistor. So we of course used them because they were great. In fact, actually, I. Uh, <laughs> We had a relationship with Nakamichi at one point where we were doing design work with them mm -hmm. and they went, nope, we're going to use these transistors. And they had the Toshibas and I'm going, well, what's the deal? And they go, oh, and started showing me all the charts and graphs, but it didn't matter because they were insistent. This is what we're using. Mm -hmm. We 
played with them. We went, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Sure. Um, they were made up until um, roughly 10 years ago or so. They were 30 cents for these transistors. Oof. And Toshiba very politely said, we're going to discontinue these in a year. Think about it. Get your orders in because you can still, you got a whole year. Mm -hmm. Buy what you need. Remember, they're still only 30 cents. Right. So uh, the year's coming up. In fact, the year was passed. We were at the year. And they went, all right, all right. We'll give you another month. You know, but don't fool around. There were people who bought hundreds of thousands of these parts. Okay, um, I, I know of one person who absolutely bought, you know, several hundred thousand. We came, we didn't get quite that high, but we were up there. We had well over a hundred thousand parts, and I personally bought about about sixty thousand of them on top of what uh, Past Labs bought. Right. And then they, and then they were over. And uh, <laughs> what happened was it wasn't very long before the price on those parts started skyrocketing. And now if you wanted, if you want select version, if you want selected ver uh, uh, you know, quantities of these parts where the part where they've been sorted out, you can pay easy $10 a piece. And, uh, that you can still get them, but you're paying ten, maybe twenty dollars for them. You know, so um, that that thirty cents looks real good. It it, it, <laughs> it really like, does. Hey, it, we're still running inventory. Well, past labs running low. Mm -hmm. They come up and said, "Well, how many would you like?" Says the hoarder, because I still got them. Or power cords. You know, <laughs> delayed shipments and power cords. They go. Oh, we can't. We can't. By the way, I'm I'm not at the factory. I'm out at the coast, mm -hmm. and so they call go. We're running out of power cords, and there's delays in getting them. Like, how many do you want? Mm -hmm. I have 500 power cords here. Bless you. So, uh, yeah, it's been tough in terms of getting what we need, but there have been, <laughs> have been a few occasions where my inventory has helped them out. That's funny. Um, but speaking to the longer term, I, I don't know what, what, you know, we had kind of a bifurcation and, and it's been going on for quite a long time where you, you've got guys who used to be exemplified by the tube guys, but now you're also starting to see some solid state uh, companies who bend toward that kind of uh, quality. You know, in other words, there's a sound to the product instead of uh, the exquisite measurements. Or that is to say, the, the the taste of what constitutes exquisite has become a little different. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, there's there's a, uh, a a whole section of the industry that keeps chasing ever diminishing, ever ever growing numbers of zeros in front of their distortion number. Mm -hmm. um, I think both approaches are perfectly legitimate. Uh, a, a person who <laughs> was my best friend and also a most incredible business partner for many years, Joe Samet, who just said, <laughs> it, it's not dialysis, it's entertainment. And so I, I keep that in, in mind. And in this case, we'd have to say that uh, my, my end of the industry has decided that entertainment is what it is that they're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And the other uh, side of the industry is perhaps perhaps looking a little more toward the dialysis end of it. I gotcha. I, but I, I don't have any problem with that. 
it's a big marketplace. There's a lot of money spent on high-end amplifiers. Right. And if I have 1% of that market, I'm doing extremely well. So I don't have to actually think too much about trying to have a, a broad appeal for what I do. Um, well, I mean, I only need a very, very small percentage of the, of the, of the customer base to see it my way. And, uh, or, or, and of course, guys who are kind of like me, and for that matter, people who are interested in tubes and such, or for that matter, just class A, mm -hmm. uh, there's, it's a small segment, uh, relatively speaking. Now, I, I really like the Pass Labs X150.8. I was looking at it online, and if I were in the market, that's probably the direction I would go in. It looks clean, it looks sleek. It's a, it's an entry-level AB amp in your series, but um, I took a poll online on my YouTube, and I asked a lot of people uh, what type of amplifier they prefer. I gave them the option of tubes. I gave them the option of class A, class AB, and class D. Um, and 50, around 56% uh, chose class AB. Um, now, why do you think the majority of people prefer AB amplification over class A or D? And you know, why do you think that is? Well, um, <clears throat> A, B is a nice compromise. <laughs> you, you, the efficiency of, you know, if you're listening at normal levels, mm -hmm. the, the, the efficiency of a class A, B amplifier can be, uh, you know, in terms of what it just draws out of the wall just sitting there is, is tremendously less mm -hmm. than that of a class A. And it, but, it, but if you're down at those really low levels, and it's, it's in a class A region and you're not doing so badly by yourself in terms of the quality, you can make very fine, very fine measuring and sounding amplifiers using AB. It, it, it's really kind of the standard of where, where you might be uh, if you're a reasonable person. Mm -hmm. Class D is this whole other thing. <laughs> I, I've always said it's a miracle it works as works at all, much less as well as it clearly is. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are achieving great, uh, enormously clean specifications for the quality of Class D. Hmm. Um, it's not what I do. Right. I, I I've actually done Class D. I, I, it never it never uh, it never ended up exciting me or, or or having me want to take it any any further. I, I kind of I love Class A or heavily biased Class A B. That's that's kind of where I live. Um, it makes for simple, reliable circuits. Mm -hmm. The the sound of Class A uh, Class I'm sorry Class D doesn't actually do that much for me. Um, but I would say in general, it, it's it's going to it's more and more the wave of the future. Again, though, it's. It's whatever you like to listen to. Now, I I do have a couple questions that uh, a couple of people wanted me to ask you. Um, first one was uh, linear and switching power supplies. Um, do you have a preference, or do you feel one is superior to the other, uh, depending on how it's applied? Well, I use I do both. I, I have a tendency to use switchers on uh, DIY projects because it it's easy. And I, I don't know if you're responsible for people 
wiring up baseline potential circuits. Gotcha. <clears throat> At DIY audience, you do not see linear power supplies for sale because they're concerned about that particular aspect mm -hmm. of, of it. So uh, I, I tend to do a fair amount of development these days with uh, switching supplies because they, it's inexpensive, it does the job, and uh, if it's if it's adequately spec in terms of its uh, usually its current capacity, then you're not going to run into any kinds of real issues. At the same time, though, just as with Class D amplifiers, they they're switching at very high frequencies, and it shows up. I mean, in other words, it's it's even though they take uh, pains to take the noise down and shield it and filter it, that you still end up with some of that stuff out at at the other end of the cord that where the amplifier section is. Mm -hmm. However, you can additionally filter beyond that and, and routinely all the projects will have some additional uh, passive filtering on the power supply lines to take that out. Gotcha. Well, that works really well. If, you, if, you're, not, if you're not dealing in really, really high power, uh, you, you, know, you, can, you can rationally do a DIY amplifier with, with a switching supply. And, and I do it routinely. Nice. Uh, at Past Labs, we like <laughs> the old classic monster transformer and big bank of capacitors. That's our audience, <laughs> and, and you can you can build amplifiers uh, either way. Mm -hmm. and you can make them quite good. The large, uh, the large linear linear power supply. I don't know why they call it linear because there's a lot of nonlinearity going into. <laughs> creating one they're really saying classic transformer rectifier bridge and capacitor bank um, they require even more filtering relatively speaking mm -hmm. than, than uh, the class d class d is pretty easy to filter because most of that is very high frequencies and the filters don't have to be real huge and so on if you are trying to get totally clean power with no ripple in it on a uh, linear supply, you're either going actively regulating or you're building huge filters. Mm -hmm. Well, that's okay. Uh, you know, or, and, and, but, but the essence of it is, is that uh, it, it's almost like, the, again, there's two camps here. There's the you know, people who uh, uh, like the performance of a, of, a, of a switching supply. I mean, it's, it's, it's first off, it's very simple. From a, from the consumer's inside, it's terribly complicated. But from the but from the outside, it's just a little box. You plug it into the wall, and on the cord on the other end powers your typically DIY product. Right. And the last question before we get into the final final question is um, op amps. A lot of people are taking products like these little um, Chinese manufactured. Uh, this is a little tube preamp, but they are making these to where people can swap out the op amps uh, for better, uh, I mean, uh, you know, for better sound quality. Is that something that is realistic and, and it should be, you know, I don't know. I, I guess the question is uh, a lot of people think it's snake oil. A lot of people think it's the real deal. Um, what do you, what do you feel about that? Well, of course, all this started with tube rolling. People began right. swapping out different tubes <laughs> in their amplifiers and listening to the difference and going, ah, I like this. Mm -hmm. Now, even if it wasn't resulting in much in the way of improvements, it was fun. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and it's a hell of a lot cheaper than buying a new amp or new speakers or I mean, fill in the blank. So uh, it's it it either delivers better sound and people are happy, in which case I say it's entertainment, mm-hmm. or the process itself is entertainment. Mm-hmm. But in, in every case, this is what we're this is what we're doing here. I listen I listen to vinyl most of the time. Upstairs I have only vinyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the system here my wife won't allow me to change anything. Uh, <laughs> I like the sound. Mm-hmm. Of course I grew up with that sound. I'm imprinted with that sort of sound in the same way that the my dog is imprinted with my voice. <laughs> and that that's the that's the sound that I like. Right. Uh, in the case of, so uh, but in the case of op-amp rolling, I, first off, I expect that the differences are going to be a lot more subtle mm-hmm. uh, because op-amps are objectively less distortion and, and so on. So that uh, the, the, the kinds of things we're looking at become uh, a lot more subtle. I actually like to build my own op-amps if I'm going to do that because you can I can build an op-amp with uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five transistors. Mm-hmm. I, I can actually build one with less, but this one would be a pretty good one, you know. And uh, and I could use JFETs or MOSFETs. I mean, bipolars. You, you can plug that stuff in. They're they're conceptually not very problematic and not very complicated. Hmm. Stuff that's been made uh, monolithically tends to be a lot more complicated and a lot more, uh, uh, you know, a lot more in there, as it were. A lot more pieces talking to the signal or conveying it or doing something that complexity to me is something that I, I, I try to avoid it so you go back and there's old classic op amps that were a lot simpler from the old days when they couldn't print nearly as many transistors on a substrate and, and get it to you I think it's it's it, it's it's valid to try different op amps particularly I think go out and try some of the really old ones hmm. and and they they have a very bad reputation, bad reputation of amps. But you know, in point of fact, in some cases, it's it's kind of interesting what they've managed to get done. And they measure higher in distortion, for example. But this, all this depends on what kind of distortion you're looking at. Uh, people are very tolerant of that those low order harmonics. They they hate those jaggedy higher order harmonics that they can hear a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. I look at I look at a product like that, a amp or power amp, on this on on a distortion analyzer, and I look at the distortion waveform mm-hmm. because I can look at it and go, I don't like the looks of that. I don't I don't I don't even care what the number is. I don't like the look of it. But if it's a real nice negative phase second harmonic of any substance, I'll go. Well, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a little more depth. To the sound of that amplifier, but it's going to be very smooth. It's going to have a little warmth to it. People are going to like it. Now, we, we I mentioned the negative phase, positive phase thing about the second harmonic earlier on. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. There is, uh, in general, there's a there's a uh, there's a kind of a general uh, uh, opinion I- I- amongst the people who listen to the positive versus the negative phase second in terms of what they perceive mm-hmm. and i find it totally fascinating which is the negative phase 
people tend to interpret the sound as being deeper, a little farther away, but having a depth. So you, it's almost like that camera trick where you can adjust the lenses on a camera and the, the, something gets real close or gets farther away. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like that. And as you go to a positive phase second harmonic by contrast, suddenly it's, it's a little more in your face. It's a little more intimate. And people, some people like that. Mm -hmm. In fact, it might even vary with the material or the particular recording. But uh, a lot of people really enjoy that negative phase second harmonic. Hmm. So if you look at the waveforms coming out of all these old op amps and stuff that you're rolling, or the tubes for that matter, you can see this on, on, a, on a distortion analyzer. You don't have, you don't even necessarily need the numbers. You can just see it. Right. Um, but it's all entertainment again. Right. I, I would, if I, I would play with that. <laughs> and there are people making discrete op amps for you to plug in mm -hmm. to your, uh, into the products that you've got now. No, oh, yeah. Actually, I have a box sitting right there with a few that uh, Sparco's lab sent me to try out. Um, and well, like person you... seems to be the uh, the leader in that in terms of making product and and, and selling it. Yeah, I have heard of them as well. Um, I've been using the Musa Zero Two, which is kind of an expensive op amp, but um, I did notice a bit of a difference, so um, I was happy with it. But um, final question: Any plans for future companies, projects, products that you'd like to share, even if it's just like a little teaser that you can't really uh, say right now, or anything you'd like to uh, add? <laughs> well. I have to be very discreet. <laughs> <laughs> I do have um, a, another SIT amplifier being put together here for uh, first one. Okay, perfect. Using using these larger parts. All right. And so uh, you're going to see that uh, either end of the year or, or sometime here early next year, I hope. But I've got I've got working prototype that seems to be meeting our. Uh, approval um, and, I, and I'm not the only guy who listens to this stuff I, I send it back to them and then they tear it up and <laughs> sometimes reject it outright but um, and at past labs you know I, we, we have a tendency to just have a lot of continuity mm -hmm. so that you, you look at what we've done you know the, the Alephs lasted I don't know I think probably we must have sold Alephs, the original Alephs, for about 10 years or so, even even after we de developed the X product. And the first editions of X uh, lasted well over 10 years before we made changes. And then we did the, uh, the 0.5 series of, that, of those products, same mm -hmm. product name. But we made some improvements in that. And uh, another seven, eight years goes by. I mean, it's been 30 years now. So you, you get a sense that we've gone through, uh, well, we, we are just, we're on our fourth thing, which are the point eights. And so we're real slow to do uh, a modification uh, on product. And we, you know, a, a bunch of little things kind of gather. And then when there's, when there's enough of them, we, we, we upgrade the product, but that, and then, <laughs> We continue to build the old product for two, three years because distribution worldwide wants the old product too, mm -hmm. and and often has a just there's different distribution for it. So go <laughs> fine if you want to buy it, we're happy to build it. That's not a problem. But so um, 
the point eights, I think, are I think they're getting on to be about five years or so. So it's going to be time to start thinking about that. But at the moment, I've been concentrating on the uh, on the first watt sit. Now, I'm not the only guy designing at Pass Labs either. Uh, Wayne Colburn, who has uh, been more or less by my side for uh, 40 years or so, it is a long time. Ultimately, as his career grew, uh, he began doing all the preamp work. Mm -hmm. So if you see a preamp from Pass Labs, that's got his name on the inside. Yeah. And I just, I'm not approvingly, we discuss things, but it is it is his product. So there, there are actually, you know, two guys doing fundamental design. And then there's a couple of people at the factory who tear those things down and make sure that it's all correct and <laughs> meets safety requirements or they catch the things like, did you know that these resistors are running at 125 degrees centigrade? No, I did not. I thought they'd be running a little cooler than that. No, they're not. So there is a collaborative aspect to that whole thing. The gentleman who was uh, president of Pass Labs. Well, I was initially the president, and then when Joe Samet uh, left Krell, mm -hmm. he had been. Some of these people go back all the way to ESS. I've got Joe Samet was a stockholder at ESS. <clears throat> He's deceased, but his wife was an accountant at ESS. Then she managed the money at Threshold for all those years, and then uh, then they they both went off to Krell for a couple of years and made Krell do real well in my opinion and but they came back and I got them back after some time and then they began running you know, then I I made uh, I made Joe president of the company because this is not a job that people actually want mm -hmm. this is a job that people are, are forced to do and so he put in his time he had brought with him a guy from uh, well, he had hired at Krell, but but came from Ireland as a digital engineer to do digital work, mm -hmm. but discovered that this guy was terrific also at doing industrial design, and his name is Desmond Harrington. So he came over in the years of past labs, and that was when our faceplate started looking really great, and Krell's maybe, maybe not so much. Uh, <laughs> After Joe got tired of being president, we made Desmond the president. He's been president for, I don't know, going on 10 years. Well, he wants to retire and go back to Ireland, and he's built a house and so on. And, and we have a retirement program where you still get paid and you still answer the phone if we call you. <laughs> but Joe and Barbara, Joe's dead, but Barbara, who went, goes all the way back to 72 at ESS, was the became the controller of you know the finances and accounting and everything. Her daughter, Anastasia, worked for Hewlett Packard in the accounting department. Hmm. Got tired of Hewlett Packard, came to Pass Labs. Mm -hmm. Oh, she was made president this year, wow. so that Desmond could let go of it. Anyways, these people go all the way back to '72. My wife, I met her. On the, uh, she was on the production line at ESS, and then because she was stuck there late at night, and I was working nights, I showed her how to use the test equipment. And she became, in the end, she was the uh, she was the head of quality control back when, by the time it became a big ass company. Dang. Uh, I managed to acquire her at Pass Lab uh, at uh, <laughs> yeah 
at that, I'm sorry, at threshold. And and we hooked up subsequent to that. Nice. We've been married. Well, actually, we've been married uh, 40 years. I met her 50 years ago. Congratulations. Awesome. Well, there, there's the story. There's the story. <laughs> Oh man, um, you, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more stories that, that we'll have to get to another time. But um, Nelson, I, w- I want to thank you so much for oh, it's a pleasure. for your time. It, it, it was really fun to to hear uh, everything about the the history and and, and how it all came about. Um, and your your love for quality and entertainment is is really inspiring because uh, this is fun for you. You know, this is like kind of this, it's, it's what I do. Yeah, this is you're the this is you're the Picasso, and this is your 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 canvas. And you've I mean you've done an amazing job. Uh, like I said, it you are a true icon in this industry, and and I I'm I'm lucky to have had you on the show. Uh, you know I, I learned actually I learned a lot about about amplifiers today. <laughs> so great. thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope everybody else enjoyed it, and. Um, if you haven't checked out past labs, please do so as well as first watt. Uh, I will be looking out for that new sit product uh, here soon. And I'm sure there's yeah, going to be, let me say, uh, everything, everything I ever wrote is at first watt posted. Oh, wow. So you can go through all the articles that I've ever put out. I got some reading to do then. <laughs> thank you, Nelson. Well, I, thank you so much. I appreciate it. 